The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Pachak. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Live from somewhere in between London, UK, and Seoul, Korea, it's Doctor Who Pachak! The Gallifrey Embassy presents Doctor Who Pachok, episode 306-306. This is Louis Trapati, and welcome to another episode of Doctor Who Pachok. And um, as this is being recorded, it's actually between. <laughs> the Doctor Who world tour is somewhere between UK and, that's London, UK, and Seoul, Korea. So, uh, I hope everyone's doing well. We're just weeks away from... The latest, the newest, the, um, well, take a deep breath. It's going to be a new Doctor Who here in a couple weeks. And what that means to you and I is that Doctor Who Pachak will be returning with live shows, live shows reviewing each new episode. So starting on the 24th, which is the Sunday following the premiere on the 23rd, we'll be doing a live show. So uh, we'll have details on our website, pachak.net. You can check it out, and but it's usually the if you've been to our live shows before, you know the the standard fare there. We'll be doing uh, reviews and then hearing what you have to say about the episode. So uh, I recommend you coming along and uh, give a listen live if you can. If not, don't worry; those live episodes will be showing up in the feeds, so you'll be getting them recorded as always. So I'm going to talk more about the new series, the new Doctor, uh, new episodes, new Doctor Who coming your way in just a moment. But let's get into some of the news. Well, as I mentioned, there's a world tour going on. And what does that mean? Good question. (laughs) Well, it means that as in the past, right on the premiere of a new series, I think this started in 2010, if I'm not mistaken, with with Matt Smith, well, with with Stephen Moffat as executive producer and as uh, head writer, and Matt Smith as the new Doctor at that time. Uh, they in April of 2010 they came to New York and they did a premiere there. When I say they, I'm t- speaking of. Um, you know, the lead actor and, and the producer there, or I should say lead actors, actresses. And that followed suit each year, uh, not in just New York, but then they expanded it uh, to um, include Los Angeles. And now they're doing a world tour, which actually excludes Los Angeles. So uh, the world tour is made up of, well, once again, it's Stephen Moffat is still the producer, so he's he's going to be on the world tour, along with Peter Capaldi, who's the new Doctor, and Jenna Coleman, who's the companion. They're appearing at these world tour events, locations. Uh, when I say locations, all I can say are cities right now, because on the official world tour website, there's so little information. We're days away from... Well, we're, well, it's already in the middle. The tour has already begun. But we're, as this is being recorded, we're literally just days away from the New York stop. And so, I, you know, I would like to make some plans concerning that, but I can't. <laughs> there's no ticket information. There's no exact location as far as a venue goes. There's nothing on the website. So 
I don't know. This is not very well organized. It's going to be one of these things where it's all going to be, you're going to have to call in or it's going to be like this mad rush. I don't know what, I, I really, I don't know how it's going to work out. Uh, we had one listener, um, a supporting subscriber who got tickets to Mexico City. I don't know how he got tickets. He got it through, I think, Ticketmaster, he said. Evidently, their tickets are available on Ticketmaster, though there's no information as of such on the website. So let's get back to the to what we do know about this promotional tour. Well, it's it started off in Cardiff, Cardiff rather, and that's um, you know the Welsh city Cardiff, uh, where Doctor Who, the, at least in 2005, where it began and continues, and uh, then it went to London, you know London, UK, of course. And now it's going to Seoul, South Korea. So, uh, and then after that, it's off to Sydney, Australia. And then it's coming to New York in United States of America. And then it's off to Mexico City in Mexico. Strange as it may be, Mexico City is located in Mexico. And then it's uh, finishing off the tour in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. There's only one U.S. stop, and that's in New York. So I do kind of feel for all our friends and, uh, well, there are people all across the United States, of course, that are listeners, but um, I I know we have a lot of uh, people that are on the West Coast as well. So I don't know why they didn't, well, I don't know, you know, (laughs) could be a cost issue, who knows. I, I mean, I would like to give you more information, but Basically, if you go to uh, DoctorWho.tv slash World Tour, it will give you whatever. I mean, that's the the page there. That's the the official BBC page for this World Tour, and whatever little information they have there. Let's see. Let's as I'm as I'm recording this. Let's see if they updated any information here since I last looked at it. So we're uh, uh, let's let's go to New York. Doctor arrives in five days, seventeen hours, forty seven minutes. And 45 seconds, 44 seconds, 43 seconds. But it's August 14th for New York. So details to be confirmed soon. That was a couple days ago when I was last at the site. That's what it said. Details to be confirmed soon. We're days away and still no details. So uh, I can't tell you whether I'll be there or not because I, I um, there's no information, you know. Uh, maybe there's some information out there, but there's none on the site. Um, anyway, so that's uh, again. If you are, if you'd like to go to get to this world tour and and see the aforementioned people, that's Peter Capaldi, Jenna Coleman, and Stephen Moffat um, at these cities, you can go to their site, Doctor Who, one word, Doctor Who dot TV T, as in te- TV as in television. Though, as in a domain name, that's really, it's it's actually, well, I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to get too geeky on you here. But slash world tour will um, get you to to the page, uh, to the site. And you can check out the cities and check out the lack of information on the on the pages there. So, um, let's, okay, so it's going to Seoul. Let's see what they say about that. It's going to be there in hours now. And oh, okay, they finally did update this. This this is um more information than it was two days ago. Okay, so all is not lost. Um, of course, I can't read half of it because it's written in Korean, but which is good because um I'm sure a lot of people going to this will be um in the native you know using the native language. So. A nation not yet visited by the Doctor on screen will get to see him in real life in 2009. South Korea named Doctor Who the most popular foreign drama of the year. The last year joined in a record-breaking global simulcast of The Day of the Doctor. So Saturday, August 9th, Grand Ballroom at 63 Building. I'm assuming if you're local to... Um, to uh, Seoul, South Korea, you'll know what 63 building is because there's no address. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how it works there. Um, I've never been to South Korea, um, so I don't know. But that's Grand Ballroom, Grand Ballroom at um, 63 building, which is kind of appropriate. 63, it 
Doctor Who premiered in 1963. I'm sure it's probably just a coincidence, but who knows. So fans will have a chance to see the first episode of Series 8, Deep Breath, um, and put questions to Peter Capaldi, Jenna Coleman, in a live question and answer session. So um, is Stephen Moffat not going to be there? They don't list his name there. I don't know. That could be a possibility. Tickets are on sale and available through a competition. Find out more about the sole leg of the Doctor Who World Tour. And I click that. And it's bringing me to... Oh, well, forget... At first I was going to say it's all Korean, but there's some English on the bottom. All right, I'm not going to read this all to you, but if you're interested, you could check it out. Uh, Probably by the time this podcast gets to you, uh, this event will probably have come to pass, I'm guessing, um, because there is, this is just hours away now. But if you're, again, interested in the other locations, again, the locations, well, um, they've already been to Cardiff in London, so now they're off to Seoul, then Sydney, Australia, then New York City, um, obviously U.S., Mexico City, obviously in Mexico, Rio de, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. So if any of those um, cities, any of those locations are doable to you, the tour is, um, well, it, it runs from um, the 7th of August to the 19th. You can get the exact dates of those um, locations, you know, from the website. Well, I can tell you right now, if... Um, they're going to see Seoul, in, um, which is the 9th of August, which is actually today as I record this uh, this, this part of the show. And um, Sydney, Australia, the 11th of August. New York is, as I mentioned before, the 14th of August. Uh, Mexico City is the 16th of August. And Rio de Janeiro is um, the 18th of August. That's the World Tour. If you're going to the World Tour, if you're going to be there at one of these stops, feel free to uh, send us feedback on your experience there, what it was like, and we want to hear uh, about your experience. Even if um, even if I do get to the New York one, wherever it may be in the grand city of New York, um, um, when and where it might be, who knows, and probably tickets will go immediately and if it's going to be one of these things where you have to like jump on the phone between x i'm not even going to bother so <laughs> i i remember back when um uh yeah you, you would have a, a doctor event and at a particular location and you would have no trouble getting tickets and admission into it and um yeah i guess those days are gone now with how mainstream it's Doctor Who is uh, even Sesame Street is covering Doctor Who. They uh, the next um, season of Sesame Street will have an episode that will be a parody or a spoof on um, San Diego San Diego Comic Con. It'll be it's like Number Con where they're going to be uh, showcasing numbers. And there was a little preview video which um, I tweeted about, and I think I put it on my Facebook and whatever. Uh, you could see, and it's it's really been all over the place, but there is something on YouTube where you can see a little uh, preview of it, and they have some Daleks coming out of a TARDIS with number twos on them, you know, showcasing the, the two. But they had this guy supposedly dressed up as the fourth Doctor, you know, scarf and all, and, um, and I think his number was three or something like that. It, was the, it should have been four, of course, but they weren't going by Doctor numbers. So anyway, it's it's all fun. They gave the Daleks two eye stalks, you know, because all these Muppets, you know, I guess um, to be qualified as a Muppet, you got to have two eyes, I guess. So they gave Daleks two eyes. Breaking news, breaking news. There's been an update to the Doctor Who World Tour information. Yes. Uh, well, the, the the website for the World Tour still hasn't been updated, but BBC America has posted information on their site, 
about the New York City location. Once again, the New York City uh, stop is Thursday, August 14th, and now we have a time. It's 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and it's, as I had mentioned earlier, it has guests Peter Capaldi, Jenna Coleman, and Stephen Moffat, and it's hosted by Chris Hardwick, and again, it's on the 14th of August, which is a Thursday. Tickets go on sale on Monday the 11th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time for $12 on eventbrite.com. First come, first serve. Still no venue announced, venue to be announced. So where? Who knows? <laughs> Literally, who knows? I don't know. Uh, it's a general admission with tickets. First come, first served. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I foresee... Them selling out. I don't know how many tickets will be available. There's no venue announced. I I foresee them selling out very quickly. Um, I think there's going to be a mad rush at 12 p.m., which is just actually now, just as I record this now, um, since this podcast is taking a long time to to get recorded and and get out there, it's now hours away from when tickets go on sale. It's uh, 2.14 a.m. now, and it goes on sale at 12 p.m. 12 noon. We're less than 10 hours away now. Ticket surcharges apply. So it's $12 plus whatever the ticket surcharge is. Uh, What that may be, I don't know. Hopefully not too much more. A couple dollars maybe. Uh, I would figure paying, you know, I would say at least $13 to $15 per ticket for this. I don't know how many tickets you could buy at once. I'm assuming there'll probably be a, a cap. It's not mentioned here. Um, the event bright. Oh well, this by the time you get this podcast, it's going to um, already come to pass. Uh, it says the event bright. I'm going to say this because it may apply to future stops. Eventbrite.com ticket page will not be live until Monday, um, August 11th at 12 p.m. So uh, you can't even go there now to uh, check it out. So maybe when the tickets go live, they'll announce a venue. But I'm not going to buy tickets unless I know where I'm going, where the event is going to be held. This is, um, this is, I don't know. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, I think I'm, I'm, I, I've said everything I could say about this. I'm sure it's going to be a good event. Uh, those that are fortunate to be there, please uh, let us know how it is. Um, anxious to hear from you. I would like to be able to give you more information, but this is um, as it's breaking. All right, well, let's get back to our podcast with more news outside of the World Tour. So far, this whole podcast has been about the World Tour, which wasn't intended, but it turned out to be. Well, if you're unable to attend the Doctor Who World Tour with the premiere episode, Deep Breath is the title. If you're unable to attend and you would still like to see this episode in a theater with lots of other people, Deep Breath will have a one night only in the cinema on August 25th. This is after it debuts on BBC. So um, in many theaters, it's going to be in IMAX. Well, at least it will be in an IMAX theater. I don't know if the presentation will be in IMAX. It runs an hour and 40 minutes And uh, as when I checked local theaters by me, they're having two showings. So um, I believe it was something like 7.30 p.m. and and 9 p.m. or something like that. Uh, Maybe 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. And the tickets, um, at least in my neck of the words, was 12.50. And I believe you can get them through Fandango or or, um, I believe that's where it was on, you know, via the Internet. So you can uh, purchase them ahead of time and have your tickets ready. Again, that's going to be it's it's going to be in many theaters in many cities, so you still have a chance to see if you want to see the you know after I'm assuming after you've seen it on television or if you don't have access to seeing Doctor Who on television, you can see it on the 25th one night only in the cinema. Um Deep Breath, the new episode launching the Peter Capaldi as the Doctor, his first uh, full episode as the Doctor. 
I mean, the, the real advantage to this is um, is seeing it with other fans. I mean, there's I don't believe there's going to be anything more to it other than that. Brian Blessed, esteemed actor Brian Blessed, who's been in many in many um, science fiction genres, including Doctor Who itself, Flash Gordon, the 1980 movie of Flash Gordon. Uh, he supplied his voice for Star Wars uh, Phantom Menace. He's well-established in the sci-fi genre. Uh, boisterous voice. He uh, could have been the second Doctor. Yes, he could have been one of the many actors to have played the Doctor on Doctor Who. Has, um, has said that he had turned down the role in the, in the 1960s. He was offered the role after William Hartnell was, um, was, was leaving the part and uh, he was a choice that BBC had made as a possibility, but he was busy with other projects and turned down the role at that time. He says now that he would love to play the Doctor. I, I believe he's in his 70s now, but um, it's interesting to see, you know, to think back and to see, uh, to speculate how that would have turned out, you know. Um, he's, um, you know, I, in hindsight, I can't imagine anyone that other than Patrick Troughton taking on the role, but it, um, obviously, it would have turned out to be quite different with um, Brian Bless there. Brian Bless has a long resume of parts, too too long for me to go through here. As I mentioned, he was in Doctor Who. A long-time Doctor Who fans will remember him as um, none other than uh, King Yukonos. Uh, King Yukonos, rather. Um, you're, I'm probably mispronouncing his name. I'm sure I haven't seen it in such a long while. It's um, the Trial of the Time Lords, uh, Trial of the Time Lord, rather. Um, he was in that in 1986. He uh, also was in, um, uh, as I mentioned, Flash Gordon. He played Prince Volton there. Vargas, he played in Blake Seven in an episode called Cygnus Alpha. He was in Survivors. Uh, he was uh, Space 1909. He played Mentor, the, the father of Maya, the father of Maya. As I mentioned, he supplied the voice in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, as for the character Boss Nass, um, the Gungan chief, the king, if you will. He plays he plays lots of um, king characters, whatever. Um, anyway, you can check him out online. Uh, he's he's active on the net, and uh, he has a long list of credits. Stephen Moffat has told SFX Magazine that he plans to do more Doctor Who on the internet. Quote, I think we now have to accept that online stuff isn't a spin-off anymore. We used to treat it as a spin-off that maybe some people would watch. And to be absolutely honest, I thought there were bank raids. We would they give me some money to do an online thing, and I'd say, right. What crew do we have ready? What actors do we have? What actors do we already have? What set do we already have? So we spend no money at all, whack it out in a day, and pump the money back into the episode, and off you go. But then suddenly you realize something like Pond Life, which we took much more seriously, had an audience, had, had an audience of over 6 million. You think, oh wait, that's a TV show. That's just a TV show, and a lot of our audience make no distinction between that and the TV show. Same with The Night of the Doctor. What I think is quite exciting about all this stuff is that you're allowed to do a six-minute episode. I actually think The Night of the Doctor is one of the best ones we've done, and I don't think it would have improved by being 45 minutes long. What more storytelling do you need? Arguably, always the problem with a regeneration show is that everyone's is everybody's just waiting for the bit where he dies and regenerates so why don't we just do that bit you don't feel that you're short selling it at all so there's going to be more of that up until the point where all television is like that and it will be all television will be downloadable content it's coming end quote that's Stephen Moffat talking to SFX magazine well, I certainly welcome that. It's uh, a night. The night of the Doctor was a fantastic episode. 
And if we get to see more online internet episodes like that, that would be splendid. So I'm all for it. You know, as long as it's not something that, you know, sometimes they do, they do these online, they do these uh, web episodes, for the lack of a better term, um, internet episodes, and they provide information that's not in the actual episode, which I think is really, I think you should be able to watch the TV version, the televised version, the broadcast version, the, the, the version that's transmitted through the airways, through the BBC, and not have to seen some of the um, some of these um, internet sh- internet versions to understand what's going on. In other words, um, they should add to the story, but not be uh, um, a part of it. Where if you don't catch it, if you miss it, you'll be missing out on something. You know, you you won't be able to follow the, the story. There'll be holes in the story without it. Is what I'm saying. So the stories on te- the televised episodes should be complete on their own and these should add something to it but it shouldn't be necessary that every watcher every viewer from the of the television series would have to see it or what they could do is then transmit it right before the episode if that's the case if it has a crucial information pertaining to that story then they should you know have it right before the actual story goes out um or after whatever and um you know so so those that aren't online or aren't following it on the web uh, won't be excluded and they can follow along. Well, that's going to round up the news for this episode. As I said, um, as you know, Doctor Who is returning to the small screen and the big screen in a couple of weeks. As I record this now, it's technically the 11th of August and this episode has been taking a long time to get out and I'll explain part of that reason in a little bit. But um, just to um, kind of um, touch point on the new episodes, on the new stories, on the new series, the new season, whatever you want to call it, of Doctor Who. Uh, there, is, there are some naysayers out there, and there are some uh, those, and then there are others that are, are boasting uh, Peter Capaldi, you know. And I just think either way, don't don't. Um, I mean, you can't go negative or positive until you actually give him a chance. You know, watch his stories, watch his episodes, and see where it goes, and then we'll know. Um, you know, you can't judge it until you've seen it. Now, maybe some people have seen these leaked episodes. Oh, and speaking of leaked episodes, there's a. Uh, this should have been in the news section. There's a new leaked episode, a new black and white, unfinished version of episode two out there. Uh, and I haven't seen it, and I don't want to see it. And I didn't see Deep Breath, and I'm going to wait until I want to see the finish color version of it and so it's um uh anyway so th- this was supposedly leaked at the same time but it didn't surface up until recently so um something to be aware of you know to keep uh something to avoid because i'm sure you want to see that see these stories as they were meant to be seen in their finished format um you know after you've seen them if you want to go back and watch these crude uh, work prints or whatever they are, uh, you know, that's up to you. I know I'm vo- I'm avoiding them. But anyway, as I was saying, is um, I think we should all just give uh, the new series a chance. And instead of, you know, praising it as the greatest Doctor Who ever, you know, without seeing it, or that Doctor Who's gone to hell in the ha- handbasket, whatever, without having seen it, are both equally um, inane um, concepts. So um, keep an open mind, a clean slate, and let's go into this and see what happens. Again, we're going to be doing live reviews of these stories on TalkShoe once again, uh, starting the, um, the Sunday after they're transmitted. So they go out on Saturday, and we'll do the live show the following day. We'll have more information on our website, podshock.net, soon. And we get right in this episode, we're going to take a break, but we'll be back with some interviews, we have last in our last episode, uh, there was a mention of an Ian Martyr interview, and Ian Martyr played as um, as you may recall. Well, actually, he played two parts. He played a part in with um, with John Pertwee and in Carnival of Monsters, and then he returns back uh, playing a companion 
um, with with Tom Baker when before they cast Tom Baker, they didn't know whether or not um, he was going to if the new doctor was going to be someone older or younger. And so they cast um, Ian Martyr as Harry Sullivan and someone sort of like Ian Chesterton, someone that was there to uh, be sort of like the muscle for the doctor. But then it turned out that um, Tom Baker was a someone that was um, I believe he was in his early 40s. Uh, when he was cast, so he was young enough to uh, hold his own, as it were, as it was. So, um, but anyway, so, and I mean, unfortunately, Ian Martyr is no longer with us, um, which is very unfortunate. He uh, started writing a lot of the novelizations for Doctor Who, and, um, well, we're going to get into that in a minute, so uh, stay tuned for that. And also, um, uh, one of the reasons why this podcast has been kind of difficult to make is, and, and I had mentioned this in the previous podcast, that um, I was getting like these sore throats. And um, it, it turns out, I think, well, my doctor believes it could be allergies, could be like sinus um, problems, causing problems with my throat. And it really doesn't, It unfortunately, it really, it's, I can talk like I'm talking right now, but after a while, it, um, it, it, um, it becomes problematic. And, you know, so if you're not doing a podcast, you're fine. But if you're doing a podcast, it becomes a little problematic. So I, I got some medication. And I'm going to take that soon. Uh, I got a dentist appointment tomorrow. So I don't want to take it while I'm, I'm just going to wait until after the dentist and um, and then um, and then take it. But uh, the, and the reason why I mentioned that is that I probably won't be able to speak immediately um, following the dentist appointment. So I'm going to try to get this episode done. And out, we might not have time for feedback is what I'm getting at. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to go into those interviews and we'll see what we can do with feedback. And we'll be back next time with your feedback. And hopefully um, I'll have a better voice. Uh, I was concerned that it was my maybe my lungs, but I've been biking. I started biking last month in July, doing um, between three and four miles a day uh, when I do go out. So I, had no, I have no problems breathing. So um, that's good news. So... It's just a, a, a throat issue, um, and it's just um, it, it just creeps up when I'm when I'm talking. I'll seem to like run out of. I don't know, it seems like I've run out of breath, but it's not really breath. It's just my throat just gets agitated. All right. Well, enough about me. Let's um, we'll be right back. Let's take a break, and we'll be back with those interviews. This is Waris Hussain. Thank you for listening to Dr. Who Podshock. Now, as mentioned, we have interviews coming up with Ian Martyr and also uh, Sarah Sutton. Uh, these two interviews are coming up just in a minute. But first, um, this also this podcast, this episode of Dr. Who Podshock also marks our first episode that is coming out into our 10th year. So this is where we've just entered into our 10th year of production, Dr. Upachak. So um, so both of these um, aspects tie into this week's Audible selection. And if you're a long-time listener, you will know that Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from in all different genres, including thrillers, business, romance, comedy, and of course, science fiction, and a whole lot more. Audible titles will play on your iPhone, your Kindle, Android, over 500 devices for listening anytime and anywhere. Now for you, listeners of Dr. Who Podshock, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so you have a chance to check out their service. To download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com dot com slash pachak again that's audibletrial.com slash pachak for your free audiobook you decide you don't like it you don't want it you don't want to keep it fine you cancel and you keep your free audiobook it's yours to keep now as i mentioned we tend to do a recommendation on each show for these and um since we are interviewing since we do have an interview rather uh, with ian martyr and since we are now into our 10th year of production of Dr. Who Pachak, 
Our recommendation is Doctor Who Earthshock. Yes, it's Doctor Who Earthshock. And it's based on the... It's written by Ian Martyr, um, who did the novelization for Earthshock. And it's narrated by Peter Davison. So, um, I'm guessing most of our listeners probably have seen Earthshock, but uh, this is based, again, on the Target books, uh, the 1983 uh, novelization by Ian Martyr. So it, it's, it's a little bit, it has a little bit more background, more detail than you would find in the episode itself. Um, so I'm sure it's something that you would find interesting. Also, Nicholas Briggs provides the voice of the Cybermen, I guess. Um, they can get, where's David Banks these days? I think he, wasn't he originally in that story? Uh, as the cyber leader. So anyway, this is, uh, let's hear a little bit, um, from the audiobook Earthshock, Doctor Who Earthshock, written by Ian Martyr, narrated by Peter Davison, the fifth doctor. This is one of his stories, of course. Shadows. The towering cliffside resembled a gigantic human skull, with the dark openings of caves gaping like empty eye sockets and nostrils. High overhead, the sun cast deep, ominous shadows over the wild precipice, and huge birds of prey wheeled silently in the hot, dry air. At the bottom of the wall of rock yawned a cavernous mouth overhung with bristling thorn bushes and dangerously loose scree. Ten tall, lean figures were positioned in a menacing arc around the cave entrance, their young faces alert but impassive. They all wore tight-fitting green uniforms consisting of a kind of battle dress tunic, trousers tucked into boots, a protective helmet and gloves. They stood motionless, leveling sleek, tubular weapons into the darkness. Behind them, other uniformed figures were huddled round a quietly humming machine, resembling a small radar apparatus. They were staring intently at the greenish glow of a display screen which was protected by a hooded visor from the glaring sunlight. A pair of dish-shaped antennae connected to the machine were scanning slowly back and forth along the base of the cliff. Nearby, a rather plain, plumpish woman in her late thirties and dressed in tattered buff overalls and a white mining helmet was pacing agitatedly up and down, her hands twisting the ragged remains of a pair of gloves. She darted anxious glances repeatedly at the sky, at the cave, and at the frowning faces round the scanner. After a long silence, the young trooper seated at the control console turned to the tall, dark-haired officer standing beside him. "'It's hopeless, Lieutenant Scott.' There's nothing, absolutely nothing, he reported, gesturing at the blank screen. Lieutenant Scott glanced helplessly across at the endlessly pacing woman and fingered his moustache. Then he walked slowly over to her. I'm sorry, Professor Kyle, there's no sign of them, he murmured. The young woman bit her lip as she struggled to remain composed. She was blinking back the tears behind the sunglasses. Well, could they be shielded from your apparatus in some way? She asked desperately, stopping and spreading her arms vaguely. Scott shook his head. Only by lead or alloy screen, he replied. The scanner detects and focuses on the body's cardio-neurological activity. It's specifically tuned to mammalian life. It's extremely reliable. Professor Kyle looked up at the slowly circling vultures. I just can't believe that they're all dead, she said in a hollow voice. It seems such a senseless waste. Scott nodded. Then he turned briskly. Trooper Walters, make one final scan. Maximum amplification, he ordered. He put his hand gently on the professor's shoulder. So that was it. That was, uh, that was a little bit from Doctor Who Earthshock by Ian Martyr. That was uh, Peter Davison you were hearing there. And this could be a free audiobook selection. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but it could be. You could choose any that they have to offer for your free selection. Once again, to to get your download to download your free, to download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com/podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com/podshock for your free audiobook.
Now, as I mentioned, we have two interviews for you. Um, they're relatively short interviews, but um, they're worthy nonetheless, uh, especially since uh, one of them is an actor who's no longer with us. Uh, the first one up is Sarah Sutton, who played Nyssa in Doctor Who, companion Nyssa. And the other is, as I had mentioned before, is Ian Martyr, who um, played Harry Sullivan in Doctor Who, uh, as well as um, he was also in, um, I forget his character's name, but he was also in a John Pertwee story playing a different character um, in um, Carnival of Monsters. Uh, Unfortunately, we lost Ian Martyr in 1986 uh, prematurely. He was only 42. It was, uh, had a heart attack uh, brought on by complications from diabetes, unfortunately, and gone way before his time. He's, like I said, he was only 42 at the time, and um, it's, a, it's a great loss because, um, you know, even after he left, uh, you know, starring, you know, on camera on Doctor Who, he was working behind the scenes doing the novelizations, he was appearing, appearing at conventions, and um, so, um, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, so this is a, uh, a rare interview with him. Now, this is a uh, courtesy of Chuck Rabb of the Chuck Rabb show back in the eighties. Um, this was, um, for his show. He, it's, um, he's, he's allowing us to, um, to clean it up and, and bring it to you here. Now I did the best I could as far as cleaning it up. It was recorded in a hotel lobby and unfortunately they must've been sitting underneath a speaker that was pumping music, so it's kind of um, it's there, you know, and, and you kind of have to like listen around it. Um, apologies for that, and um, but like I said, it's um, it's interesting hearing um, a little bit from Ian Martyr because it's it's um, unfortunately he's no longer around, and we don't get to uh, we, we're you know unfortunately obviously we don't have any um, we, we can't interview him again. My guest is Sarah Sutton from the program Doctor Who, at least at one time. Yes, once. <laughs> How did you get involved with uh, Doctor Who? I was sent up for an audition by my agent, um, and I met John Black, who directed the first story, and John Nathan Turner, the producer. And um, a few days later, they called and said I'd got the part, but I didn't know then that the character was going to be carried on. I thought it was just for that one story. And sure enough, the character was carried on. That's right. I'd played Nissa for two years. From a one-shot to go to two years, didn't that uh, kind of lock you into a role for a while? Yes, they didn't. I didn't. They didn't suddenly say, "Right, you'll be doing this for two years." I had two separate contracts, so rather three contracts: contracted for the first story, and then contracted for the second season, and then contracted for the, the final season that I did. So it was in bits and pieces. It wasn't exactly. I didn't. I didn't know then that I would be doing it for two years. You know. Do you need to tell the audience a little about your character? Yes, I play an alien, not an Earth person, and she's of no. Noble Burr, uh, quite a sort of regal character, um, a princess in many ways, uh, very intelligent. She's a bioelectronics expert and a cyberneticist and uh, all sorts of things like that, so she's quite smart. My co host is Joel Spivak, science fiction expert from the city of Philadelphia. Joel, let me turn this over to you. Um, no, I'm not really a science fiction buff. I mean, I, I did enjoy watching Star Trek. We had it on television in England, and I used to enjoy watching that. But I can't say I'm the type that rushes out to the latest science fiction movie. I, I, there are other things I prefer before science fiction, funnily enough, besides Doctor Who, that is, of course. Yes, I, I do try and keep up with it now. I certainly watched um, when Peace Davison finished and uh, Colin Baker took over. And I try to watch now if I'm in, but I don't make perhaps as much much effort as I, as I should do. I did a pantomime at Christmas, uh, Cinderella, in uh, just outside London, and it looks now as if I'm going to be doing a play that will be touring for 18 weeks um, in England, all around England and Scotland, actually. So that looks quite exciting. Um, I don't know if that's the influence is the right word because I haven't worked that much since I finished. I think people tend to sort of think of you as doing Doctor Who and don't realise that you're either available for work or that perhaps you can do anything else besides that. People tend to be quite 
narrow-minded about that sort of thing. You can get typecast, which is the, the word people usually use. And I think I probably have done to a certain extent. I'm hoping now that with the offer of this play, that things will change and I'll be offered more different work, yeah. Brendan, go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to know... Was Doctor Who your first acting job? No, no, no. I started work professionally when I was nine years old. My first television when I was 11, so I'd done quite a bit of work um, before Doctor Who. It wasn't my first acting job, no. Had you ever considered working on any other science fiction programs? No, not really. My agent sent me up for work, and it just depended what it was. It could be anything, you know, that uh, they sent me for. I guess it's been Sarah Sutton. I know you've been busy all day here. Yes, I've got little fiction. dots in front of my eyes from all the flashlights, as they still haven't gone. <laughs> very kind of you to take the time to be on the show. Thank you very much. I'll make sure that you get a copy of this in the mail. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you. Uh, well, the very beginning of it was when I was asked to go and see Barry Letts, who in those days was the producer of the programme, about a new character who was going to be brought in as a unit officer in unit. And it was the part of a young captain. And uh, I went to see Barry for this part, and it then transpired that I wasn't going to be available anyway. Whether they would have asked me to do it, I don't know. And Richard Franklin, I think, played the part in the end. So I didn't play that part. But then later, when again a sort of military character came up, Barry again was still the producer, and he must have thought of me from the previous contact that I'd had with him when he was casting before. And he cast me as a character in a John Pertwee story called... Now I've forgotten the name. Some of you are American experts here. You see, this is the... That's right, we all have to always call on the Americans to tell us my mind just goes blank about those details. Carnival of Monsters, which was a story with John Pertwee. And then, that was a character different from the one I eventually played. And then when Tom Baker came in in 1974-75, they weren't at the time quite sure who they were going to have as the Doctor, and they thought maybe it's going to be somebody, shall we say, a little advanced in years. Um, and so maybe we need somebody to crash through plate glass windows and leap off of high buildings. <laughs> So <laughs> they invented this character called Harry Sullivan, who I played in the end. When Tom was cast, it immediately became apparent, of course, that they weren't going to need somebody to do all these things, because Tom was perfectly capable of doing them himself. <laughs> so they then had to sort of rethink fairly quickly and rejig the character, and he became a sort of well-meaning English gentleman, whatever that is. And, uh, At least he wasn't a complete No, that's right. I hope not, no. I had a suspicion that the writers always found it a bit difficult to, to write for him. I, I always had that rather uneasy feeling that they weren't beside themselves with enthusiasm for the character. If I remember correctly, Harry Sullivan does solve some cases by the end of the series. In yeah. chapter four or five, you can uh, get rid of one of the monsters. But he's basically following the instructions and may not realize exactly what he's doing. He's asking. That's right, yes. It's that old thing of does the doctor do everything himself or does he really rely on the people around him? We used to have arguments about this, and I, I, it's my one of my hobby horses, which I'm now going to be standby because I'm now going to be very boring, but it is one of my hobby horses. If you have a big star character, I'm not talking about the actor or actress who plays the character, but a star character. If you surround that character with very minor, ineffectual characters, you don't actually enhance the status of the star. You actually bring it down. It has a contrary effect in my judgment. You know, we used to have a very famous actor called Sir Donald Wolfitt. It was a great sort of tam, wasn't he, really? Wasn't he? Yeah. No disrespect, he was a wonderful actor, but he was a great tearaway actor. And he used to deliberately surround himself with rather minor actors so that he wouldn't be over... But all it actually did was bring him down. He didn't seem to realise. I don't want to go on about Don Wolfe particularly, but do you know what I mean? It, it, 
If you want to make a character, build a character up, you have to put big characters next to them. I don't know how I got onto this tag, but it's all to do with the whole thing of grading and getting the temperature right all the way around. It's okay having an omnipotent character who can do anything. If the Doctor's too capable, then there's no danger and, and he's not being, he stops, stops being interesting. He's only an interesting character if he's vulnerable. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I've gone a very long way about saying it, but uh, it's, I think it's true not just a Doctor Who of any program like that, you yes. know. Well, I guess it's, you know, Martyr uh, sitting next to him is Sarah Sutton. My co-host is Joel Spidak, Joel. This is where my rusty memory gets called back into action. Well, I did quite a lot of theatre. I didn't do anything on television for quite some time. I did do a series called Crown Court, which is a sort of three episodes, three half-hour episodes on three successive days in the week around lunchtime when they have a courtroom drama. But the outcome is unknown. What they do is they have a jury which is made up of real members of the public who could be called on to be members of real juries. They're not extras, they're not actors, they're nothing to do with any scripted uh, role at all. Uh, And they simply come in once the whole thing's been rehearsed for the studio, they come in on the studio day and act as a real jury. And what we had, I was a baron attorney and I used to play a regular sort of attorney in in the thing. And we presented our cases as best we could, and then the jury considered their verdict. And it was quite exciting. It uh... sounds like a great training for your lawyers. Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, you really did. We used to write our own summings up for the end of the trial, you know, with, the, with the attorneys, I imagine they do here, give a kind of summary of their case before the jury retires. We often used to write those ourselves. Uh, on the basis of how we felt the thing had gone. And then, the, as I say, the outcome was a, a real unknown quantity. I did quite a lot of those. I then went and did some work with the Bristol Old Vic, which is a provincial rep company. I did some West End shows. Um, then I went abroad and came back to the UK, did some more theatre, went abroad again. Then I started doing the writing, started doing the adaptations and stuff like that. So I've been doing rather more of that lately than I have acting. Yes, I did. I didn't watch it regularly. I saw the very first episode ever in 1963 with Bill Hartnell. I didn't watch it regularly. Again, I think I was at school at the time, or university. Yeah, university by then. So I wasn't always able to see it. But I watched odd ones the way through, you know. I didn't see many of Patrick Chan's. I saw more of Pertwee's. Uh, I wasn't a fan exactly, but I, when I watched them, I enjoyed them. You know. Yes, I do. I don't watch it regularly again because I'm perhaps away or something, or uh, I forget, or I don't have a television at the time. <laughs> yes, I'd like to ask, what was it like leaving the program, and would you come back, say, for a 20th anniversary special or a 30th anniversary special? I was rather relieved to leave it as it happened because the way the character had been allowed to rather de- degenerate. And so in the end, when it was finally time to go, it really was time to go. So in a way, it was, for a sad reason, it was a relief, you know. But uh, I I don't think I would now. No, I think that's it, you know. He's run his course. Is there any kind of part from a book or a movie that you've seen that you very much like to play? Oh, that's, uh, that's really difficult. <laughs> um... No, I don't. I quite like to play Jaquees in As You Like It, Shakespeare play As You Like It. Uh, no, I don't. I don't have a. I don't see my. I don't. There isn't a part I've always wanted to play. I've never. I have never wanted to play Hamlet. I hasten to add. <laughs> never. Not that anybody's ever asked me, so and he's never likely to. So, but I've never had any, you know, desire. I'd love to play Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I'd love to play Sherlock Holmes. But somebody's doing that very well just at this very moment on television in the UK now. Jeremy Brett is at this moment playing Sherlock Holmes in a series. I hope you get it over here because I think it's it's really it good. Is good. I've seen, yes, I've seen yeah. some of them. They're very They're good, good, aren't they? The adventures da- of Sherlock yeah. Holmes. Yeah, yeah, with David Burke as David Burke. Yeah, yeah. David Burke as Doctor Watson, very and they're really very classy and well made. Yeah. But I, I see, I do see, I fancy myself as a Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> you think that you and 
Sarah might work together sometime. But it would be nice. It'd be nice. It would be super. The one thing about this business is that you do meet up with people you think you're never going to see again. You do a show with them and you can say goodbye. And some unknown reason they turn up. People turn up, don't they? Yes, that's right. They do. That's what's so wonderful about it. Well, it was like John Woodnard, who I was talking about earlier in in his outfit. I was in Uncle Vanya at Liverpool. And uh, he came out to play Professor Serebriakov. And of course, when we saw each other, we just collapsed with laughter. And it was very irritating for the rest of the cast of the read-through because we couldn't stop giggling. All I could see was John in that outfit with all those nipples all over it saying, <laughs> I am brutal. That's all I could think of him as. Doing the, play, doing the Chekhov play, I could still see John in his outfit with the zip up the back. That's a bonus, I think, from the business, is the fact that you that you meet up with. Sometimes maybe you don't want to meet up with certain people, I don't know. It's certainly not the case here, I don't think, but uh, no, it would be great. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Love to. I'll look forward to that sometime in the future. Right. And thank you both for being on the show. My guest is Mandy Pian Water, Sarah Sutton, co-host Joel Spivak, and occasional question by Brendan O'Hara. Thank you. Thanks thank very you. much. Once again, that was the late Ian Martyr, along with Sarah Sutton, um, respectively both from Doctor Who. Um, Ian Martyr, probably best known in Doctor Who circles, playing Harry Sullivan, the companion, and um, Sarah Sutton, who played Nyssa in the um, in Doctor Who as well. And um, both of them um, saw transitions of of doctors, you know, where uh, Harry Sullivan. Uh, Pretty much um, saw the transition um, from John Pertwee to Tom Baker's uh, doctor and Nissa uh, Sarah Sutton rather, who played Nissa, saw um, the the end of it. The Tom Baker's transition to um, to Peter Davison, and then she makes a cameo once again during um, the regeneration scene in Caves of Androzani when um, when Peter turns into Colin. Um, so. Two actors that had transitions there. Uh, thank you once again to Chuck Rabb of the Chuck Rabb Show and and his co-host and other participants in that interview. Ian Martin brought up a good point about the Doctor, you know, should be vulnerable. And that's something I always agree with. And he shouldn't become all too powerful. That's why I sort of prefer that um, that he was a renegade from his own people and um, where where he had to contend with that. Rather than being the last of the Time Lords, uh, I know that I always preferred him to be a, a renegade and on the run from his people because that just made him more vulnerable as opposed to being um, the the one last Time Lord that, you know, has say about everything. Um, you know, there's there's no one watching over his shoulder, you know, that type of thing. So I, I do agree that he needs to be vulnerable and um, vulnerable rather and, um, you know, and not... Um, not godlike. Despite being able to regenerate, he should be able to face death. You know, regeneration shouldn't be a guarantee of continuation. So that sort of thing, I think, is um, necessary in Doctor Who. And sometimes I feel it's not as emphasized as I would like it to be. And now let's get into some feedback We've always welcomed your feedback. You can send us feedback by recording audio and sending it to us at feedback at podshock.net. Or you could use the, the Podshock public call box at, two, you could call 206-337-4699. That's the Podshock public call box. And you can, that works just like voicemail. Leave a message there and um, we can use it for the show that way. Or you could just, uh, you know, do the old-fashioned way and type an email and send it to feedback at podshock.net. Just realize that this is an audio podcast, so we do tend to prefer audio feedback whenever possible. Uh, if your smartphone does voice me- uh, do- if your smartphone does voice memos, you can record a voice memo and simply then email that recorded voice memo to feedback at podshock.net. So this is a feedback from a regular listener that sends feedback all the time. We haven't heard from him recently, but nonetheless, it's always welcome to uh, to hear from him. It's Blue Box Bill. 
Greetings and salutations Podshock. Today's feedback is in response to episode 301. That's 3, 0, 1. During which, Lewis, Ian, and Ave discussed at length all the exciting new ways fans of Doctor Who may watch the program, here in the States, in addition to BBC America and with services like Netflix, Hulu, and iTunes. There's another option which I use a lot, one that didn't turn up in your discussion and while it may not be an option for everyone that's listening, I believe it deserves a mention here. It's your friendly neighborhood public library. Ours has every DVD episode from 2005 on. Complete with all the specials. Including Matt Smith's last episode. As a resident of Harford County, Maryland, I have registered my library card with the public library system of neighboring Baltimore County, which likewise has all the new series on DVD. You typically get a week to view your selection. You can extend your borrowing time by renewing your checked out materials over the internet. Plus you can reserve your selection via the web, before visiting the library and even set up a search agent that reports to you on a regular basis what's new at the library. My search agent enables me to get all the new releases within days of their arrival, in addition to new series episodes. A number of classics are also available between the two systems including, but not limited to, An Unearthly Child, The Edge of Destruction, The Sensorites, Planet of Giants, The Ark. Lost in Time collections for the William Hartnell years as well as the Patrick Troughton years, the Moon Base, the Web of Fear, the Mind Robber, the Ambassadors of Death, Inferno, the Mind of Evil, the Green Death, the Hand of Fear, the Mark of the Rani, and the 1996 movie with Paul McGann. And if that isn't enough to keep you going between seasons there are dozens of audiobooks including the Aztecs, the Sensorites, Galaxy 4, the Highlanders. The Pescatons, The Androids of Tara, Horror of Fangrak, Castravalva, The Hounds of Artemis, even The Angel's Kiss, A Melody Malone Mystery. Additionally there's a wealth of other Doctor Who goodness available through both public library systems. They have oodles of those quaint and dated bound volumes that are printed on paper. I think they are called, books. Have a look around. You may be surprised to learn there are a lot, and I repeat, a lot of Doctor Who productions, available from your local public call box. Uh, sorry, make that your local public library. Until next time, keep producing the best Doctor Who podcast out there. Happy travels, from Blue Box Bill. Thank you, Blue Box Bill. That's a, it's a great suggestion. Uh, there's lots of resources at your local public library. Most of us overlook them um, because uh, we don't um, enter in them. You know, I, I have to, I'm, you know, admit myself that I'm guilty of it. You know, I used to go to the library all the time, but now with this thing called the internet, I, I don't get in there as much as uh, as I had in the past. But there was. Uh, yeah, it's valuable resource. So uh, take advantage of it and see what kind of Doctor Who material they have. They may have uh, videos and DVDs, and I wonder, you know, if you know all that stuff takes a lot of physical space. I wonder if they're going to get into the digital realm. Um, you know, I, I know archival. They, you know, they they were storing stuff back in the day on. What was it called? Microfish? Microfish? Michael? Mi- microfilm, but it had a strange name to it. All these newspapers and everything that was recorded and archived in that way. Uh, but yeah, definitely check it out. Uh, it's a good way to um, catch up on episodes you may have missed and uh, or rewatch episodes that you, you saw before and you haven't seen in a while. All right, thank you, Blue Box Bill. Uh, once again, send us your feedback by calling the Podshock Public Call Box 206-337-4699 or uh, send your audio feedback or written feedback to feedback at podshock.net. All right, we have other feedback that we're going to get to in future shows. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. And we'll be back. To, oh, Dave and Ian will be back as well. Uh, we're going to be doing live shows soon. 
Stay tuned for that. Podshock.net will have more information about that shortly. And thanks for listening to Doctor Who Podshock. Cheers, everyone. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan-run GallifernMC.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the Podchuck Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit arttrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts. Open that buckle and you'll be blown to kingdom come. You mean it's booby-trapped? These buckles can't be opened until the Cybermen beam the release signal. Harry. Were you trying to undo this? Well, naturally. Did you make the rocks fall, Harry? Uh, well, I suppose I must have done, yes. <laughs> <laughs>